Welcome to That's a Reach podcast, where we sit down to talk through questions about the Bible, theology, the gospel, and more, and how they influence your everyday life. You may have had these questions yourself, so we hope you find this conversation encouraging and clarifying in your pursuit of Jesus. All right, guys, welcome back to That's a Reach. Today, we've got three questions that we're looking at, um, and we're going to go ahead and start off with number one. So it's, when Jesus dies on the cross and he says, I give up my spirit, what does that mean? It's a long pause. (laughs) Matthew. (laughs) Um, Well, I think uh, when you and I were talking about the questions earlier, we were talking about what in relation to Jesus being the son of God, what is my spirit referring to? And that's one of the one of the things where you need to just properly understand what's being said and define those terms. Uh, so Taylor, what do you think Jesus means when he says, "I give up my spirit"? Well, what what the verse that we you know pointed to is the one about like he lays down his life willingly, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that that is essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about God or Jesus saying. I'm giving this up. I'm choosing to lay down mm. my life or I'm choosing to give up my spirit and and then being able to take it back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Because the question is like, is it the Holy Spirit? Is he laying down the Holy Spirit? You know, I, I like I would hesitate on that. There's, yeah. you know, but then there's also this idea that on the cross is the, is the only time that Jesus experiences separation from the Father. Yeah. Like a wrath. Uh, if you've ever seen the American Gospel, the second American Gospel video has this awesome image that of like what's happening there that I've always – it blew my mind the first time I saw it. It's obviously not perfect. There's no way to draw God that's going to make perfect sense. But they essentially have this, cir- this big circle labeled God with three other circles inside of it that are each person of the Trinity, and they're all connected. But then you see that on the cross – the father and son circles split away from the the I'm sorry the father and spirit circles split away from the son circle, but they're all still within the big circle. They're all still God, mm-hmm. right? And so I thought that was a really cool representation of like, the, there Jesus never stopped being God. He never uh, lost his divinity. Mm-hmm. In just in that moment, he was experiencing wrath. It was the father turned his back on him. Yeah, you know. So I you know he didn't any version of this where he, you know lost his divinity or there's some people who think that Jesus died eternally and is now there's like a version of Jesus that's still in hell paying for our sins. Hmm. I'm I'm not on board with any of that. Right. I think that he, you know, first Peter three eighteen says Christ also suffered sins once for all time, the yeah. just for the unjust. And so that to me is that he laid down his life willingly and then had the power to take it back up again. Yeah. Julie, what were the verses that this was coming from? So I cross-referenced the different Gospels to see if he had different language whenever he said it is finished, and then he gives up his spirit. Um, We can look at Matthew 27, 50. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And Luke 23, 46 Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. In John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Um, And the verse that 
Taylor just referenced um, about Jesus being able to willingly give up his life and willingly take it back is John ten eighteen, because he's talking about how to get to the father. He's the way, the truth, the life. And he says that um, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. Yeah. And I was, I was just talking about um, in Sunday school this last week, as we're going through Mark um, about Jesus's uh, uh, willingness to, to obey the father uh, in Mark. Let me look it up real quick. Mark 14. Um, is it Mark 14, um, 35. It's when Jesus is wrestling with the fact that he knows what's about to happen. And he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He says, uh, Abba father, all things are, uh, possible. This is Mark 14, 36. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me yet. Not what I will, but what you will. And so I think what Taylor originally said was it was Jesus's willingness to, to give up his spirit. And so that's why I just want to make sure we define our terms of what spirit is going on, uh, is re- referring to in that, um, it was his, his willingness to lay down his life. So going back to the initial question of when Jesus dies on the cross and says, I give up my spirit, what does that mean? I think, uh, primarily in that context of what Jesus is saying and leading up to the cross is talking about his willingness to obey the father, even to the point of death. Uh, and, uh, and that he knows that that's, of course, the human aspect of Jesus doesn't want to deal with the pain of death, but the spiritual aspect knows that taking on sin, the Holy father is going to turn his back on him while he is, is paying for our sin. And, um, but we know with Jesus, he takes on our iniquity, but our brokenness does not make him unclean. His perfection cleans up and pays for our, our brokenness. And so, um, it's just in that instance, uh, feeling the, as he's paying for our guilt, feeling that separation, that's why he's, he didn't want to do that, but you know, he's willing to do it according to the father's plan. He's following the father's will of the redemptive arc of, of God's history, uh, as we see through the Bible. So I think that, uh, him giving up his spirit is him willingly obeying in that instance as well. I think there's also some assurance with that verse. Um, because when we know that Jesus had the power to willingly give up his life, but also to take it back, that ultimately like lets us know that death did not win Mm -hmm. when Jesus died. Like Jesus's death on the cross was not, sin and death overtaking God Mm -hmm. at all because this was something that Jesus sacrificed. He knew what he was doing. He chose to do it. And like you said, he was following the father's will. Yeah. So none of this was like a desperation of Jesus giving up. It was simply just him saying like, it's done. Uh What's done is done. Yeah. Which I think that relates to the second question. Yeah. Uh, so the next question is, what is the significance of the resurrection to salvation? If Jesus's death covered our sins, why did he need to come back to life? So this this is uh, a common question. I, I always point to Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? Because in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that we have to believe that God raised him from the dead. And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were, I thought it was, you know, dying on the cross that saves us. 
Why, why do we believe in the resurrection? You know, and then Paul has this huge emphasis on the resurrection. He says, yeah, pity beyond all men if, if this is false. And the reason that we point to the resurrection, there's, you know, essentially I, I always say two things about this. I say the first thing is um, you have, you have the, the reality is that you can die for your sins, but you can't come back to life after that. And so you have to have this proof that Jesus wasn't dying for his own sins. Mm-hmm. That you have to know, like, he, if he dies and doesn't come back, well, maybe he had some sins he had to pay for. I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, but the fact that he comes back, and then this goes back all the way to the Old Testament. You have the, the high priest is going to enter the Holy of Holies and make the sacrifice for the nation. Well, if the high priest didn't do the process to purify himself from his own sins before he walked in the Holy of Holies, he would die in there. Right. So the idea yeah. is like if he doesn't come back, it didn't yeah. work. Yeah. There's no forgiveness of sins yet, you know, and th- and that was obviously that's an object lesson, but it holds true cuz now we have the perfect high priest and if he doesn't come back, then he's paying for his own sins. Yeah. You know, and that's why it's so important. That's why the book of Hebrews is so pivotal in everything that you were just saying is it's it's pointing to the object lesson of everything that came before in the Old Testament and saying, see, look, this is why Jesus is and says and did, did what he did. Right. Uh, so even just the example of the high priest going to the Holy of Holies, then paying for the sac- for the sacrifice with the spotless lamb and all that, um, like they would be in a lot of trouble if they weren't in the right place uh, spiritually. But Jesus, like I said before, you know, our sin doesn't make him unclean. When he comes into contact with our sin, it makes us clean. Right. Uh, and again, though, uh, we were talking about yesterday, um, the, we were listening to the Bible project before, and they pointed out, like, if you want to understand better the, the reason that these types of elements are in the redemption arc of history are in the gospel story, you better understand Genesis really well. So then going back to the garden in this instance, why, why did you just have to raise back from the dead? Well, what happened at the curse? Was it just that sin happened? No, sin and death happened. So Jesus raising back from the dead, he paid for our sins, but he Overcomes also conquered death. death. Yes. Yeah, he he's reversing both curses. And we live now in the already but not yet. We're already redeemed spiritually from our sin. And then the, res- the second resurrection, Jesus being the firstborn among new creation, he is... Uh, He's he's overcome death, and then in his second coming, all that believe in him will yeah. I mean, join with him. He's the only person who's resurrected to life. Like yeah. like because you know you've got this moment with Lazarus, but Lazarus died again. Yeah, and Lazarus has not been resurrected to life yet. You know, and that like this. I love what you said because I heard that sometime. It was last summer. I heard a uh, I was listening to a podcast or something, and that the the speaker said, "You've got the entire Old Testament filled with all of these." rules about not coming into contact with unholy things because they defile you. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus shows up and starts touching lepers Mm -hmm. and healing. And it's like, wait, 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 hold on. Well, that's because all of all sin defiles us when we touch it, except that Jesus, he purifies sin when he touches it. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy. Right. And so you have him living this perfect life, cleansing Everything he touches, everything he comes into contact with is made holy or is, you know, healed or saved. And then and then you get to what you're talking about, which is this idea of uh, I like to use the word saved and salvation because it's like I'm already saved, but my salvation is yet to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Like it's not here yet. And and that's we have all these verses from Paul and Peter both saying, hey, salvation is coming mm-hmm. It's right around the corner. 
And it's like, that is the whole point. Like Jesus rising from the dead is demonstrating the salvation to come. Yeah. You know, and that's also what baptism is, right? Like we are dying the same death that Christ died in a figurative sense because mm-hmm. we expect to live the same life he's been resurrected to. That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah, that's why most of the New Testament letters also end with those types of points of, you know, continue, be, like, be diligent, press on, strain towards the goal because he's coming back. Like, mm-hmm. because there's that, the um, the future hope right. of eternal resurrection with him. Like, some, something's coming. Yeah. So, yeah. like, well, stay diligent now. And this is, I think it's important to understand the reason that biblical writers used language they used. Like, they're writing letters, mm-hmm. okay? They weren't writing, like doctoral thesis, you know, that the dissertations that they're writing, you know, 200 pages. So we get all hung up, you know, we have this moment where we have these verses like Peter saying, repent and be baptized. You know, what must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. And then you got this group of people that latches on that verse and goes, see, baptism saves you. Mm. And, and you, and, and so we're talking about, you know, Paul in Romans 10, 9 and 10 saying like, believe in the resurrection. It's like, we know that the blood on the cross is what redeems us but it's the salvation that that i'm sorry it's the resurrection that proves it so yeah that's why i believe in the resurrection and so you have to you have to understand the reason the writers used the language they used they had they had a a way deeper by the way theological understanding than we do um because especially because most of what was being written was written in their context and we're Mm -hmm. trying to unpack that two thousand years after the fact but they understood why they were using the words they were using, and it's our job not to not to contort those words, but to try to try to really try to get in their shoes and say, okay, from their perspective, what did this mean? Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think well, that leads us to the last question um, as far as trying to understand the words and how they're used. Yeah. So the last question is: Is it true that once we're saved, we are always saved? Yes. All right. Done with the podcast. Yep. End of done. podcast. Bye, guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's lots of instances where it talks about um, even just the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, but the mechanics of salvation. Because you talk about, you know, if you only look at one or two verses, you can think baptism is a mechanic of salvation. And uh, and that's where we get to our, our favorite phrase at Evergreen is the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It yeah, means what it means. Exactly. So I think that's, um, there's a lot of things that can go into properly understanding that, that theology of, of once saved always. Is there, to show my ignorance on that, is there a technical name for that? Uh, Perseverance of the Saints, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's so Calvinistic. Yeah, Absolutely. well, it, it's funny because <laughs> no matter what you want to, if you yeah. want to debate Calvinism, it's like, you can debate all over the board, but there's one place I'm never like I I don't have any debate with. I don't even have like any mm-hmm. you know, pr- like it's like I'll debate the other the first four points with yeah. you all day. I'll I'll take the Calvinist side in one second. I'll take the opposite side in the other second, depending on what angle and how we're framing it. But but when you get to the perseverance of the saints, I'm always on board yeah. and I have no argument with that side of it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you have an argument? Yeah, and so so here's the here's the key. Whenever we talk about that, I have the same problem with some like there's several doctrines that are popularized today that I think they they promote us and demote God in ways. So like for yeah. instance, I have this real problem. Like we start having the debate about you know this is a whole another 
podcast issue. Maybe we'll maybe we'll tackle this someday. Is like the idea of the the, Write that the, down. the guy in the deepest <laughs> darkest heart of Africa. He doesn't hear the gospel. Is there any chance he gets saved? And you get you get these are my mission minded brethren are mm-hmm. the ones who will say, if you don't share the gospel, then. Then there's no way he can get saved. There's no way that guy can get saved if you if if missionaries do not go tell him the gospel. And they'll point to you know belief comes from hearing and those kind of verses and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I understand what you're saying, but there has to be extra understanding there because you just made God dependent on me. Yeah. Like and and you and you promoted my disobedience over God's desire to save people. Yeah. You know, that's where I have this hiccup. And so I, I tell that whole thing, that's not really the point of what we're talking about, but but that leads me to this one. I, I've i been told that I cannot save myself, and I believe that. Uh-huh. That God is the, is the in, from beginning to end, he saves, right? Now I'm going to have a difference of opinion about how that how that comes about, you know, but, but the bottom line is God does the entire saving process. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can't do anything to save myself, then it's it's actually ridiculous for me to think that I'm somehow strong enough to unsave myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I can now I'm now promoted to this place where I'm my sin or my decision to reject or rebel is more powerful than the salvation that God has already given me. Yeah, like and he and he what gave me that salvation knowing like. Six months from now, I was going to turn around and walk away. Like I, I can't get to this place where somehow I have that power. To mm-hmm. I, I can't. I don't have the power to save myself. I then I certainly don't have the power to to unsave myself. Yeah, you know. Such a good point. Yeah, to make it a little more. I mean, that's like a not not high minded, but it's it's a theological mm-hmm. point. But like sure. even on a practical side sure. of things, uh, you know, Ephesians two. 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm -hmm. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that's one of the verses that points to what you're saying of uh, that it's God from start to finish that accomplishes it. So if it's not something that, as Paul is saying here in Ephesians, that I can earn in the first place, then it's not something that I I can... can, I can't unearn it. Yeah, (laughs) it's not a job that I earned and I, you know, oops, I lied on my resume and I got fired for that. Like, that's that's not how salvation works. Well, and, and, you know, there's almost two camps. There's people who think you can lose your salvation through sin. That makes sin more powerful than God. Yeah. And then there's people who think you can essentially choose to to stop being saved yeah and i i disagree with both julie read read the verse on the sheet that you have the the nothing will separate from god verse yeah okay so romans eight thirty eight through 39 for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Okay, so you have to read that verse. You have to hear all of these things that can't separate you from God, and then you have to say, except me. I can do it. Yeah. Like, I'm more powerful than all that list of things mm-hmm. to now be able to separate myself from the love of God. I'm like, and he, you know, the funny thing about those verses is he is talking about, you know, God's redemptive love, but the reality is you can't separate, like, you can't, you can't stop being loved by God even in the event that you end up in hell. Yeah. Like God doesn't stop loving the people who go to hell. He just essentially gives them what they've asked for. Yeah. You know, cause again, it, you know, going back to even the start of salvation, Romans 
what is it five eight tells us that even you know for while we were still yet sinners, yes. Christ died for yes. the ungodly. And then that's it's love. Like, oh wait, you, you sinned again? Yeah. Ah, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, going back to the Bible means what it means. Uh, one of the areas where we struggle is talking about uh, the word apostasy in in the New Testament and. My my uh, small group had just recently gone through Hebrews, and it's in um, Hebrews five and six, talking about it, um, where it's giving an example at the end of Hebrews five and the beginning of Hebrews six of a person who is enjoying the fruits of the family of faith, and then turning and walking walking away from it. So chapter six, verse one: uh, Let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For if it is possible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, this is where the confusion comes, uh, who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So, and then it goes on, and you should definitely read uh, Hebrews. But what it's talking about is someone that, you know, I was telling Jilly, like our in our context, someone that grew up in the church. They enjoyed maybe a Christian household, enjoyed the Christian community. They saw people's lives change. And, they, and so it's like, a, imagine a healthy church. Someone's enjoying the fruits of... Christian morality in their life. And then they go off to college and they're like, ah, I don't want to put in the work. And they just turn their back on it. That's what this warning is against. It's a, it's against a person that isn't saved. And so that's why when someone says, is it once saved, always saved, I always say it's if saved. Yeah. If always saved, always saved. saved. Okay. So I want to, I want to throw something on top of this. Cause there's a question that this conversation always inevitably leads to. Uh, and and to add on to the verse you're talking about, we talk about the parable of the, of the seeds all the time, right? right. Because, the reality is only one seed in that story is saved, right? So the, yeah. the seed that, you know, takes root real quickly and jumps up and then is scorched by the sun, that's not salvation, right? Yeah. That's somebody who tasted and 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 started to experience that this what this life has to offer and then turned from it, right? And the reason this is important to understand, there's always somebody who hears this discussion and says, you know, I have this family member, right? And they looked just like a saved person for a long time and since then they've walked away and they've rebelled against you know against the truth and I'm worried about them now here's but here's the 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 point of this I think it's a complete misstep in that situation to spend your energy trying to determine if that person is still saved yeah. like are, were they saved are they still saved yeah it's missing the point if you have a brother or sister in Christ, not a relative, just a brother or sister in Christ that stops acting like a Christian tomorrow, the goal in that relationship is not do do whatever backflips in your brain to assure yourself, pat yourself on the back and say, no, they're okay. They're, they'll yeah. still go to heaven. It's to, it's to urge them back to repentance. It's to call them back to faith and back to walking in that faith. So anybody, I don't care if they're a relative of yours or not that is walking in that rebellion, uh, I think we're trying to comfort ourselves. We're trying to tell ourselves, well, if they died tomorrow, they'd go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Like, well, how about 
Instead of that, like let's say they are a believer that is just going through a valley, uh, just a bad time, and they're walking in some sin. Even then, we should be urging that person to come back to walking in faith and looking like a believer, you know, should look. Yeah. Because that's for their own good. And so it doesn't matter, saved or not saved, when I see somebody walking in that season, I don't spend any time trying to figure out are they or are they not. Because guess what? The the message to both of them is the same. This is the gospel, and you should come back and live according to this. Yeah. You know, either way. Yeah, because ultimately our our position in this whole thing is there's no way that I can know even if you're 100% saved. I only know that by the fruit in your life. Yeah, and honestly, it, you know, it goes to show you, like, what if— I don't ever walk away. I don't fall away. And I just look like a good Christian my whole life. And I still die and yeah. and don't make it because I wasn't it wasn't in my heart. Yeah. So I don't I don't care if somebody looks or doesn't look. All I know is who to focus on. And if somebody doesn't look like they're saved, they're not walking according to the gospel, then my whole goal with them is evangelism. It's yeah. it's just sharing with them the gospel, even if they're already saved to go, Hey, come live by this. Yeah. Come walk yeah, by yeah. this. You yeah. Know? The answer, the old, everything boils down to whether you were talking about evangelism or discipleship, it is the gospel. Because yes. as we're talking about, like, it's not like this side of salvation, like, Oh, I got all the right answers now. And yeah, if I ever right. show, I don't have the right answers. That's when I'm not saved anymore. Right. So we already talked about that. And so the gospel is still always the answer. It's, it's more of dependence on Jesus and dependence on the spirit in life. And, you know, even the New Testament tells us, like, if, an, if a believer or someone in the community of faith is acting this way, like, cast them out and treat them like an unbeliever. That's not a, that's not a, don't talk to them anymore. It's like, a, they, they're not saved. You need to be evangelizing that person. That's what's going on. And the end of um, James says, in James 5.20 says, um, uh, or no, 5.19.20 says, my brothers, if anyone among you <clears throat> wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, does that mean that their salvation is dependent on us? Well, no, but it's exactly what Taylor was saying was if a person is living in such a way that is contrary to the truths of scripture, contrary to acknowledgement of the gospel, then we do what we can to, to bring them back into that because that's, that's for their own good. And, uh, I'm not covering a multitude of their sins, but bringing them yeah, back right. into, into uh, Christian community and discipleship will will turn them from sin. That's yeah. that's for their own and, good. And honestly, being able to look at, especially like when it comes to a relative, mm-hmm. being able to look at your relative and and convince yourself that they're still saved is actually just inhibiting you from the from what should be uh, a, an all out effort to bring them back into mm-hmm. Christian the Christian faith. You know, and it's like. Uh, even let's say let's say they are saved, you should want for their the betterment of their life to walk in 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 the way of of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. every day. And if they aren't saved, and you're busy trying to tell yourself that they're still saved, then what you're not doing is constantly trying to share the gospel with them so that they will be saved. You know, it's like don't don't waste any time trying to discern something you can't discern. Yeah, look at the fruit in their life and go, okay, that's not the fruit of the spirit. Then I need to constantly be telling that person the gospel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That That's our position. So it's not for us to try and determine those things. Right. Like I don't, you know, I barely know my own heart, let alone your heart, you know? So uh, that, that's yeah, not I, our I job. I should be working out my own salvation in fear and trembling. Like, yeah. That's the point, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
So, but yeah, I think that that's a that's a really good uh, uh, point to end that on because in all these things, like what what is our focus? What would we bring it back to? And that's like whether you know preaching to myself, it's the gospel. Yeah. Whether you know talking to you know you, my peer, we land on the gospel all, yep, the, time. all the time. Whether talking to a relative, like I I speak the gospel, yeah. and whether that's you know talking to a lost friend or coworker. It's always the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes back to. So it's not like we have a different playbook necessarily. Yeah, there's no Christianity 2.0. There's yeah. no advanced Christianity. Yeah. It's just the gospel. Yeah, I'm not going to try and evangelize somebody with uh, explaining tulip to them. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. there, there are things Some we don't. Some people do. Yeah, that we shouldn't be necessarily swinging at. But uh, yeah, it all if it doesn't boil back to the gospel, then you're playing the wrong game, really. Well, so. that's, I will say that's something that's wild of, like the deeper I go looking at theo- theological questions or whatever, it always, every time, goes back to the gospel. And that like blows my mind for some reason. I don't really know why, but I'll get to the end of a line on a question and I'm just like, oh, it's the gospel. <gasps> it's the gospel. And like, I have this whole moment and I'm like, why am I surprised by this? Yeah. So I totally agree. All right. Is that it? Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah. It's staff meeting time. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us on That's a Reach. We are pastors and leaders from the Reach Young Adult Ministry at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And these questions come from those in our young adult community here. If you're from a different church and context, we hope you found the discussion beneficial and edifying as you pursue spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in your culture and context.